So uh, we're, in, we're in the book of Mark, we're in a series, and we're looking at the first century biography of Jesus. This is a biography of the life of Christ. It's the first one written. It was written about 60 or 70 AD. So uh, you're, here we are getting uh, really close to uh, who Jesus really was. And we've been looking at different stories around the life of Jesus, different things that Jesus did. And this morning, as we come to chapter 5, 1 through 20, uh, we come to the, one of the longest, one of the most vivid, uh, one of the most uh, detailed little vignettes in, in all of the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, this is 20 verses, and it's all one story. And what's so interesting about it is that it is the longest, most vivid account of an exorcism in the whole Bible. This is fascinating stuff. And uh, you know what's interesting? I've kind of noticed that we, in our modern culture, do have sort of a fascination with, uh, with the demonic. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of you have seen uh, Stranger Things. Anybody seen that one? Uh, you know, it's sort of a demonic story. It's, uh, I don't know what that creature is, but, you know, it's kind of this uh, supernatural, demonic sort of story and very, very popular in our culture. There's another uh, TV series out um, called The Exorcist. It's sort of a remake of the 1973 original. Who's watched that one? Some people are willing to admit it. Wow. <laughs> right, for a class. Okay. So we are fascinated with, with the demonic. I mean, this is uh, interesting stuff. It's terrifying stuff. And, and uh, you know, we, in our culture, we, uh, we produce, uh, you know, entertainment around it. But the question I want to ask today is, is this stuff real? And added to that, is this stuff dangerous? I mean, is the demonic real? And if so, I mean, what sort of things did the demonic forces do in our lives? And how does the gospel interface with that? And so uh, that's kind of what we're going to look at here as we look at this story of the demoniac here in, in uh, Mark chapter 5. And I want to make three points. Uh, number one, we're going to see the reality. I'm going to call it of cosmic evil. And second of all, we're going to see the work or uh, what cosmic evil does in our lives. And then finally, we're going to see how the gospel uh, defeats this sort of evil. So the reality of it, what sort of things it does in our lives, and how the gospel defeats it. <clears throat> Three things are all here in Mark chapter 5. And so let's look at the first one. And uh, let me just read here. Uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he uh, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. Uh, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, or I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he re replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. We'll stop there. So let's kind of set the stage here. You remember last week, uh, Jesus got his disciples together, and he says, we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the lake. 
And his destination is this place called the Gerasenes. And the Gerasenes, it's on the sort of southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And what you need to know is that this is, uh, this is enemy territory. This is, uh, for a Jewish person, this is the Gentile world. Uh, this is a place where we see that they can raise swine. You know, it's not Jewish. Uh, this is a Roman-occupied territory. And this is not a place that any self-respecting Jew would go to. Uh, this was unclean. This was not a destination, not a vacation spot. Uh, this was not a place that I suspect the disciples were excited to go to. But here they go. They're on their way to it. And you remember that before they get there, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they face a big storm. And so the wind and the waves array arise, and the, uh, the boat is in danger of capsizing. Jesus stands up, and he, he speaks a word, and the waves are made into sheet glass. And now they're on their way to the other side. It's still dark outside. They're almost to the Gerasenes. And imagine the disciples. Imagine how they felt at this point. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a near-death experience, a car, you know, a, a wreck or something like that. But imagine they're in shock. Imagine they are in a very emotionally fragile state. Um, they're probably still terrified. And here they go. It's still dark, and they're about ready to go to Gentile territory. And Jesus steers the boat to a graveyard of all places. And so these poor disciples, they get there, they step out of the boat, Jesus gets out with them, and suddenly a man rushes up. Out of the dark, they hear shrieks, eerie shrieks, and chains rattling, and, and, and out comes this naked lunatic in a graveyard. I mean, you can't get more spooky than this. This is straight out of a horror movie. He runs up to Jesus, and of course, you know, the disciples are ter terrified. And the first thing out of his mouth is, Jesus says, what is your name? And the man says, we are legion. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> I don't have a manly voice, but that's the best I could do. <laughs> but you got to get the scene here. I mean, this is terrifying. We are legion. What do you have to do with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? And what I want you to see, first, uh, first of all here, the first point I want to make, is that here Jesus finds himself face to face with cosmic evil. Uh, there be demons here. And what the Gospel of Mark wants us to know is that we live in an, an enchanted world. We live in a world shot through with angels and demons and the devil. We live in a world of spiritual warfare. And this is not only something that Mark says. Ephesians 5, this is the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. <clears throat> he says the same thing about the world. Uh, this is what he says. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul says it too. He says, look, the world we live in is enchanted. And there are demons out there. There is such a thing as real cosmic evil. And you battle with it every day. And here Jesus is confronted with it here in chapter 5 of Mark. Now I want you to know that uh, according to the Bible, this is not the only thing that we wrestle with. Uh, you know, Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He's not saying that there are no flesh and blood versions of evil. I mean, there are normal, natural, flesh and blood versions of evil everywhere. 
Um, you wrestle with your evil boss, maybe. <laughs> He's flesh and blood. Um, you, you wrestle with illnesses all the time, and those are, those are things that we wrestle with. Uh, we wrestle against, uh, you know, uh, bad people all the time, you know. In, this, in the ancient world, there were the Pharisees that Jesus is wrestling with, and there's the, the flesh and blood Romans that he's, that he's wrestling with. Uh, Jesus, on the way to the Gerasenes, wrestles with a natural disaster, with waves and the wind. And so he's not saying that there are no flesh and blood versions of evil. All the Bible is saying is that beyond these things, that above these things, that all of these things participate in something much greater than themselves. That there is a dimension beyond the flesh and blood, a spiritual evil dimension that we are battling with on a daily basis. This is what Mark wants us to see. Now, I, I know that there are, that there are many uh, uh, modern people that look at this and they say, are you kidding me? I mean, demons, are you kidding me? Seriously? I mean, this, is, this stuff is in horror movies, but are you saying that it's real? And I think what Mark would say is he'd say, let me turn that question back to you. How do you explain the evil that you see in the world without appealing to supernatural evil? Without the devil, how do you explain the evil that we see? I mean, we see, uh, we, we see terrorism, we see, uh, uh, we see school shootings, there is racism and genocide and uh, all sorts of evil in the world. And of course, uh, we're scientific people and we, everything has a natural cause and a scientific explanation. Everything is natural. Well, if that's the case, how do you explain the depth of evil that we see? You know, genocide and racism, you know, you can't just explain that completely by appealing to bad psychology and sociology. What the Bible says is there's something deeper going on. There is real spiritual evil in the world. <clears throat> there's a great, uh, there's a book by an author, his name is Andrew Del Banco. And uh, he's, a, he's a Harvard graduate, he's a, he calls himself a secular liberal. And he wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And in the book, he, he basically says, you know, he says, look, our modern world, we don't like to believe in things like demons and, and the devil and everything as a natural cause, but he says it's wearing thin. And he says, when you look at the world and you don't believe in the devil, you don't really have the resources to explain the evil that we see. Let me, this is what he says in the introduction. He says, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. The repertoire of evil has never been richer, yet never have our resources been so weak. So he says, we've jettisoned the idea of God. We don't like the idea of angels and demons. But he says, without them, how do you explain evil? Genocide and things like that. And then he goes to the movie, The Silence of the Lambs, there in the introduction. And many of you have seen that movie, and it's based on a book. And he goes to this very famous scene where Officer Starling goes to visit the evil, monstrous Hannibal Lecter. And there's Hannibal Lecter behind the plexiglass uh, prison cell. She's going to go talk to him. And as she's waiting there with the guard, she looks at him and she says, what happened to him to make him so twisted? What happened to make him so cruel? And Hannibal Lecter overhears this. Uh, and then he looks at Officer Starling and he, and he says this to her. He says, Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. 
You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me. Can you, stay, can you stand to say that I am evil? And then Del Banco concludes, the modern West cannot answer the monster's question. And so Mark says, the world we live in is enchanted. And you really can't explain the evil that you see without that dimension. And you don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. There are demons, and there, there is the devil, and there is cosmic spiritual power that is around you every single day. Now, I think there are two errors that we can fall into when we, when we look at this. I think we can overemphasize the devil, or we could underemphasize the devil. You know, some of us are, you know, everything's the devil's fault. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, we're, I went to a church one time where they were casting out the demon of laziness and the demon of alcoholism and the de- this demon and that demon. And I think, you're blaming it all on the devil. You're just lazy, <laughs> you know? And, you know, the Bible's very complex. You know, there are psychological factors when it comes to evil. There are social factors. You're dealing with your own selfishness. And so you don't want to just blame it all on the devil. Sometimes you're to blame. <laughs> and some of us see the de- demons under every rock and behind every corner. But then there's the other problem, and I think I kind of fall into this problem, is I kind of ignore the devil. You know, I go about my life in sort of a dis- disnified world, and everything's hunky-dory, and I don't realize that there's actually very real evil out there trying to get me. There are such a thing, there is such a thing as, as powerful evil. And when you look in, the, in, in uh, this story, notice how powerful evil is on this man. I mean, nobody can sub- subdue him. He's breaking the chains off. Nobody can manage this guy. He's under the control of incredible power. And he says, my name is Legion. You remember, my name is Legion. And a legion was always referred to, to, to talk about a Roman garrison. And so what what the author is saying is, hey, you can imagine a Roman garrison, a a group of soldiers, they're strategic, they're orderly, and they're powerful. There is something akin to that in the spiritual realm. And it's strategic, and it's powerful, and it's cunning, and it's real. And it's not the only sort of evil out there. I mean, evil is complex. But if you don't recognize this dimension, you're missing it. And you're unaware of the danger that you're in. So let's look at the second, the second point. So we've seen um, evil is real. We live in an enchanted world. There are demons out there. And we must recognize that. But let's look at the second point, which is what do these evil forces do? Right? I mean, they're out there, but, but why, why should we be aware of them? And what is the danger anyway? And it's a good question to ask. Um, I mean, are they, are they there just to terrify us, just to scare us like a horror movie? Uh, you know, I was, um, one of the things I like to do with my kids at night is I read them stories. Uh, I'll make them up before they go to bed. I think I've told you about this before. And uh, the other night, it was a couple nights ago, I was telling my kids about a story about a mummy. They just learned about mummies in Egypt, so I was telling them the story about a mummy. And in the story, my kids are always in the story. So I was Samuel, Luke, and Jude, and Micah, they're all there, and they encounter this mummy. He comes out of the case, and he starts to chase after them. And uh, 
I tell them right before bed, and I wonder why they can't sleep at night. But, um, so the mummy's chasing after the boys, you know, and he's chasing them all over Egypt. And at one point, Samuel stops me, and he says, well, Dad, why are we running away from the mummy? And I said, well, what do you mean? Of course, he's a mummy. He's scary. And he says, well, what is he going to do when he gets us? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's all wrapped up, you know, like he doesn't have weapons. I mean, what does the mummy do? <laughs> he's scary, right? You run from him. And sometimes we think that way about demons. I mean, they're just scary. You know, what do they do? I don't know. We're just scared of them, right? So what do they do? What is the danger? We, we see the danger by looking at what they do to this man. And let's look at the vivid description here. Verse 3, it says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he, was wrenched, he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, look how vivid this is, night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And then he fell down before Jesus. And so, what do demons do? Well, what do they do to this man? And on the one hand, this is a very extreme case of, of someone being influenced by the demonic. And so this isn't something that happens every day. But we can look at this man and kind of get glimpses to see what demons do to us. And essentially what I want you to see is, is the demons are dehumanizing this person. Here's a man and I imagine he once had a family, he once had a personality, he once, um, you know, had friends and things like that, but now he's reduced, I mean, he's almost like an animal, isn't he? You know, he's running around the tombs, and he's screeching and shrieking and uh, cutting himself and yelling out. The demons are dehumanizing this man, and this is what they do. And maybe to a more subtle degree with us, but this is exactly what cosmic evil wants to do to your life. It wants to reduce you. They want to dehumanize you. They want to make you less than what God has created you to be. Because the, human, the, 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 the demons hate God, right? And God is their, is their spiritual enemy. And if you want to get at God, what do you do? Well, you go after that which God loves. You know, if somebody hates me, you know, if you wanted to go after me, what do you do? You go to my kids. And you start to hurt them and torment them. And this is what the demons do. They know what God loves. God loves humanity. Human beings are the only object in the world that are said to be made in the image of God. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's most beloved work of art. And in all of creation, when God looks over all of creation, the most beautiful thing in the world is you. And you are made with gifts, and you are made with a personality, and you are made for community. And you are made to love and be loved. And you are made to make a difference in the world. And what do the demons want to do? They want to mar the image of God. They go after his kids. And they diminish you, and they destroy you, and they dehumanize you. And that's what's going on in the story. Notice some of the things that the demons do. Number one, they isolate the man. They rip him apart from human community. He's antisocial. He's out there in the graveyard. He's outside of society. And this is one of the ways that demons dehumanize you. Have you ever had thoughts like, nobody likes me? 
Nobody wants me. I'm just going to close myself off. I'm going to turn myself in. Well, there's a lot of things behind that, but you want to know what, what is really behind it? Cosmic evil. Wanting to isolate you. Self-destructive behavior. And there's a lot of psycholo- psychological things behind if someone cuts themselves or, or get, you know, destroys their own life through an addiction or an extramarital affair. But you know, you know, you know what else is behind that? Cosmic spiritual evil wants to destroy you. And it, they want to get you to destroy you. Whether by physically cutting yourself or by destroying your life in some other way. Bondage, that's another thing. Here this man is in shackles and he's subdued and he can't get out. Uh, you know, the, the spiritual you know, realm, the demons, the devil, they, they want to put you into bondage. And have you ever been stuck in a sin? Have you ever been in bondage to pornography or to bitterness? Have you ever been in bondage to perhaps alcohol or drugs or food or something like that? And there's a lot of psychological factors about that, but you want to know what else is? Real, spiritual, cosmic evil. This man is miserable. He's tormented. And he's crying out among the tombs. And have you you ever been under a dark spiritual oppression? And, you know, there's a lot of things behind that. There's, you know, chemicals in the brain, but you want to know what else is going on. There is real spiritual evil out there, and it's working on you and influencing you. This is the testimony of the Bible. We live in an enchanted world, and there's more going on than simply the physical. And so here's my question to you. Are you aware of this? Are we aware of this? You know, the devil is going after us in very subtle ways. On one point in the New Testament, uh, 1 Peter, uh, Peter, who was there when this happened, he says, listen, The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So there's an invisible wild animal loose. And it is seeking to devour you and me. And the Bible says it's real. Are you aware of the danger? And so here's this man, and he's crying out night and day, and he's oppressed by the devil. And I think the most dangerous thing we can do is say, well, some people are demon-possessed. Ooh, that guy's really bad. And yet not to see the very subtle ways that we're being influenced every single day. And you're battling it in your marriage. And you're battling it with your children. And you're battling spiritual evil when you sit in front of the computer. You are a computer. You are battling it every day. We're in a battle. There are legions and principalities and powers that are at work underneath and behind and and everywhere in the physical world. So let me ask the final question, which is, uh, how do we get out of it? I mean, how do we, this is dangerous stuff. I mean, this is a real story. And so uh, the third point is the defeat of evil. And here's what the the story uh, tells us. It tells us that Although these forces are powerful and although they are real, there is a force come into the world in Jesus that is more powerful. Jesus Christ is the only one who can defeat cosmic evil. And let's look what it says. Jesus says, "Come come out of him, you unclean spirit, verse eight. 
And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, we are, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly don't, to, not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered 2,000 and rushed down to the steep bank of the sea, in this, into the sea, and were drowned in the sea. And so here's what we see. Jesus defeats the, the demons. And what I want you to, to see here is that he does it with incredible ease. In the ancient world, there were incantation books, and uh, you know, people were, would call on higher powers and, and do all sorts of rig, 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 rigmarole, thank you, yes, uh, to get rid of the demons, to cast them out. And here Jesus, he doesn't call on a higher power. He does no incantation. He looks at the demon and says, get out now. And off it goes. And what, Jesus, what, the, what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus doesn't call on a higher power because he is the higher power. Jesus Christ is power itself. And he is the only one in the world who can defeat the evil in your life. And so he cast out the demons. And then notice it says here in verse 14, and the herdsmen fled. And it was told in the city, in the country, and the people came to see what, what, what had happened. And so uh, Jesus sends the, the demons into the pigs. Now somebody says, what is up with the pigs? I have no idea. <laughs> I studied it all week. I don't know what's up with the pigs. But the demons go into the pigs, and then the, the, the herdsmen go back to their boss, and they say, uh, you're, you're never going to believe this, but there was this guy, and there are the demons, and the pigs, and now they're in the ocean. Um, anyway, the demons go into the pigs, they go into the ocean. And then it says, uh, the people came back, and in verse 15, they saw the man who was demon-possessed, the one who had had the legion sitting there, I love this, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What does Jesus do to this man? who is so dehumanized, he rehumanizes him. And there he is, calm, cool, collected, in his right mind. And this is what Jesus always does. He wants to make us more human. He wants to make us who, he, who God's created us to be. He loves us. We're made in his image. And he wants to deliver us from evil so that we might be Fully human, fully alive, absolutely set right again. Now someone might ask, well, why does Jesus do this? And the simple answer is, he loves us. You know, as I read the story, the one question that I had all the way through is, why did Jesus go across the lake? I mean, he didn't have to. And he had to fight a storm to get there. And he was exhausted, and he was only there for an hour. Why did Jesus do that? And the only answer I could come up with is that he did it for this man. I mean, here's a man that everybody wrote off and nobody cared about and everybody just says, look, he's done. And Jesus says, no, he's mine. And I know who he was created to be and I'm going to go after him and I'm going to set him right. <clears throat> I grew up in a Calvary Chapel and I'm almost done, but I grew up in a Calvary Chapel church and one of the stories that, that I love that was always told in Calvary Chapel was the story of a man named Raul Reese. 
And Ron Reese was a Vietnam vet, and he, uh, he had come back from the war, and of course he was, he was uh, battling with post-traumatic stress and all these other things, and he also was battling with demons, his own demons. And he was verbally and physically abusive to his wife and his kids. And his wife had determined to leave him. And so uh, one, one day when he was off at a, at a, on a camping trip, she packed the bag, she got the kids together, she put the bags by the door, and she went off to the store to get one other thing before she took off. Well, while, while she was at the store, Raul Reese came back, and he saw the, the bags packed by the doors, and he was infuriated. And he went to a closet, and he pulled out a gun, and his plan was to shoot his wife and his whole family, and then to shoot himself. And so he's sitting there on the bed. He tells the story. He's sitting there on the bed, waiting for his family to get home, and he turns on the TV. Well, on the TV comes a TV preacher, Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith begins to talk about the love and the power of the gospel. And as this man sat there in the heart of darkness, I mean, in the, in the pit of evil, it's almost as if Jesus reached out to him through the television and just redeemed him from evil, defeated evil in his life. And this man was, uh, he was redeemed. I mean, he was, he was rescued and he went to counseling and he became a Christian and now he's a minister. And I just think of the demon-possessed man who was once roaming around the tombs who now is in his right mind. And the gospel can do this for you. Jesus Christ is powerful. Jesus Christ loves you. And Jesus Christ doesn't care the depths to which you have fallen. And he never writes you off. And he never says you're a lost case. He never throws up his hands. He goes to the other side and he goes out to get you. And I don't know what you're in today, whether you are involved in some addictive pattern or you're struggling with anger and bitterness. I mean, all of us are battling. What I want to encourage you to do today is just cry out to Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of things that you're dealing with, but listen, Jesus Christ is the only one who can defeat evil. And don't just run around naive. Recognize the danger you're in and call out to the only source who can save you. And finally, I want you to see what Jesus did so that he could save us. You know, all of Mark goes to the point where Jesus Christ was put out into the graveyard, was stripped naked, and shrieked out on a cross. He was dehumanized so that he might come and make us fully human. And he can do it. He can do it today. And he can do it for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story about the very real uh, presence of evil in our world. We live in an enchanted world. And there are demons and principalities and powers and legions and all of those things. God, we pray that um, you would open our eyes so that we would recognize the danger that we're in. <clears throat> God, that, that we would 
not be naive about the battles that we face. God, that we would do something about maybe the patterns that we've gotten ourselves into, that you would wake us up. And Jesus, I thank you that you are here today to heal. We thank you that because of the gospel, because you were thrown into the heart of darkness, you can pull us out of the various pits of darkness that we find ourselves in. God, I pray that you would uh, break the power of bitterness and anger, break the power of addictions. God, I pray that through the resurrection power of Jesus that you would as a, set us free. God, help us to be fully human. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.